0: Um, Transitioning to today's message. Last week, uh, if you were here, how many of you were here? That'll help me a little bit. Um, Most of you were here. Last week, we, we started talking about the gospel. And as we talked about the gospel, and I'm going to try to unpack just a couple little highlights. You're going to have to go back and listen to last week if you want to get something from this. But I took too long summarizing the last service, and we didn't get to some of the meat. So Um last week we were talking about the gospel and it's like, you know, the gospel is this reality that we're invited to. Like it is good news. It's good news for you, it's good news for me, is that impacts our life and it's good news for everybody around us, right? And the good news of Jesus Christ is this reality of what He came to bring. And and many of you may be like me, I grew up in church and at age ten, I prayed a prayer um of confession, asking Jesus to be Lord of my life and what I understood and intended from praying that prayer was that my sins were going to be forgiven and that the guilt that I had for the sins of a ten year old, you know, were going to be relieved, thank goodness. And um and that I would essentially kinda of like have a ticket to be able to hand Peter one day at the pearly gates and get into heaven. Right? And so my intent with the gospel is to be forgiven and to be able to get into heaven when I die. And so I don't know what message or, or, or version of the gospel that you heard, but unfortunately for most of us in the Western church, that was the extent of the message that we've heard about the gospel. And what we started to unpack last week was that is an essential aspect and a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it is by, by no means is that ver- that version. And I'm going to stand on this stool to kind of represent that version. You'll see me do this a few times during today's message, that version of the gospel. A gospel that is about conversion is just a part of the full message that Jesus Christ came to bring. And part of what we talked about last week is there's this message of conversion, but there's this invitation. Jesus said in in Matthew chapter four, when he began his ministry, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That means up there has come down here. This was not new news to people, specifically Jewish people, that God has the kingdom. What was new news and what was good news for everybody is. Since that moment forward is that the good news of God, the availability of the gospel is now available to you and to me. We don't have to wait till one day when we die to get into heaven. We get to experience the goodness of the presence of God in our lives as we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and receive his Holy Spirit. And that is an invitation to a life with him. And the half gospel, the gospel that's about conversion is like, I'm not sure what I do after I pray this prayer. And so from age 10 to age 23, I just kind of lived with this with this sin management plan and Christianity as a moral standard plan, and I didn't understand, I didn't have someone walking me through how to grow or even that there was an invitation to grow. It was just like an inferred thing. And there's way too much that Jesus Christ has to say and too much that he brought with his gospel. For the clarity of what he's about and for the things that he has in store for us, for that gospel to be just about an inferred aspect of growth. You see, there are commands, things that you and I are required, asked to seek, you know, all these imperatives in the New Testament and in Scripture that are inviting us to act and somehow in the. On conversion only level of the gospel. There's not much action involved post that prayer, but I've got good news for you. it's called the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's the full gospel and it is inviting you to respond. It deserves our response every day. So how? And that's what we're focusing on today. How do we begin engaging the reality of this gospel? Again, you'll have to listen to last week's message, to unpack some of the, some of the conflict there. But today I promised we would get into a little bit of the how. And so everybody say the word concept for me concept, because that's all we're going to be able to get to today. It's a concept. Okay. This is going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant, right? This is going to be a lot. But as Elizabeth encouraged me a few minutes ago, she's like, man, just go, just Pour out the fire hydrant and let people just grab a couple, whatever they can get out of it, right? That's for them. And so this is a fire hydrant. I'm in, and I'm intending it to be a fire hydrant so we can cover a lot, a big concept, that hopefully you're led to something more than what you may have known, or from what I may have known, from this perspective of the gospel. And that reality of what we're, what we're called to and what we're invited to is this life of walking with Jesus And so we're going to talk a little bit about spiritual growth. As we as we talk about spiritual growth, there are four kind of categories I'm going to put here on the screen. Um, There are just four categories that I chose. You could put more up here, but we're going to begin with top right in theology. Right. If you're going to grow spiritually, you have to have a healthy theology. You have to have a growing theology. God is so big. You can't conceive him. Our minds are 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 finite. He is an infinite God. But there are things that he's revealed to him, to us by his word and by his truths. That we can understand and, and come to a knowledge of God that he invites us to. But beyond what we can we can experience and agree with cognitively, there is encounter. There is experience in God. From the truths that we see in scripture, there is a life where we get to encounter that truth to become real and evident and produce a fruit in our life. Such as God's faithfulness. Like I can read that God is faithful and I can hear that God is holy, but I get, I get to... Grow in my theology by experiencing his faithfulness as I pursue him and as I encounter him and as I experience him in the circumstances of my life. Next to theology, we have mission and service. And did you know that God has plans and purposes for you before you were created, before the creation of the world, God had a plan and a purpose for your life. And part of this is there is a growth and a, and a discernment and a discovery of the plans and purposes and the missions that God has in store for you to participate and to join him in. Like I can just tell you as a pastor, and this is not a guilt statement. This is just a, A reality statement from what I understand the impact of the gospel could be in our life. Like if we were all living fully on mission and in service of what God has in store for us, then then we wouldn't be asking guys as we do on a regular basis to help serve or participate by greeting on Sunday morning or serving in the village like y'all would be asking us like, can I have my turn, please? Like, it's my turn. I get to come to church and help serve in the body. I get to participate. You see, the New Testament perspective of of the church is that we all get to come together, bringing our gifts and bringing our talents in order to serve and to build up and encourage one another. Like, it's not about coming together just to hear a person speak. Or just to get to, to soak up some time in worship that I feel really good and now I'm re-energized and I've, my, you know, I'm, I'm recharged for this week and I had a good experience and, and how good that church was was how good of an experience I was. Like, that's not at all the New Testament perspective of church. New Testament perspective of church is a community that gathers around and focuses on the good reality of Jesus gospel and encountering him and experiencing him and him moving and flowing through us to build up and encourage one another as we're a body of faith, each person doing its part. And if each person was doing its part, why in the world do we have to ask for volunteers to serve? Now, healthy moment. If you feel guilt because you haven't served, well, you get to make a decision because I don't think there's much that's healthy, that comes from a motivation of guilt in our spiritual lives, but there is everything that comes from a vision, from, from this, this motivation of a vision to change. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always inviting, always inviting a transformation in our lives and, in, and a vision to change. So where you may hear guilt that maybe you're not serving or you're not doing your part to participate, that may be a choice that you make. If you choose not to serve, then that may feel like guilt. But if you can hear it and, and desire to respond to it, then it's going to look and feel like a vision. A vision for something more, a vision to life, a vision to participate. And that is an opportunity for your life and for my life. And that's good news because the gospel only brings good news. It's good news for you, for me and our neighbor and the lady we're going to see later today at Kroger. Because the gospel is either good news for everybody or it's not good news to anybody. Part of what we talked about last week is, okay, now based on this good news, what is your intent? What is your intent on responding to this gospel? Because as a 10-year-old, my intent was to be forgiven of my sins and get my ticket to hand Peter one day to be able to get into heaven. And praise God that that wasn't a satisfying reality of my life and that there's there's so much more that he's grown and led me to intend in my life to engage spiritually. And that's where we are in spiritual growth. This spiritual growth invites us to this place where we're also finding community. If you want to grow spiritually, you've got to, you've got to ultimately find community. I don't believe that New Testament Christianity exists outside community. You're like, okay, well, what does community look like? I don't think you can be, you can live a Christian life in isolation. You make it have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But how in the world are you going to love your neighbor as yourself if there's not a community that you're expressing that love to? That there's not a, a person or a people that God wants to express his love through you into other people's lives. I'm just I'm not going to get caught up on community. I could. I did, there are 50 sermons in this message. But remember, I'm trying to get to a concept. And the reason I'm trying to get to a concept, because as I shared last week, I said I said to the youth, I said, you want to start a revolution this has the potential to do so. Go to an adult in the congregation and ask them, would you, can, can we be in a relationship together and would you teach me how you live out your spiritual life? Would you teach me how to walk in the ways of Christ? Would you teach me how you live pursuing him every day? Would you teach me how you engage and how you're empowered by the spirit of God to join God in the good works that he has in store for you to do? Would you guide me into the ways of Jesus Christ and how you live your life to be obedient to all the things that he taught? Now, if you're an adult, you may feel a moment of weight, and that's a good thing. Because from my experience, a number of Christians that I've met with, because of primarily our, our, our little boxed-in version of a conversion gospel, then most of our response to that moment would be like, well, I can. we can pray together or we can read the Bible. And that would be your, maybe you can go to church, would be your encouragement of what they do to grow. But there is so much more to the Christian life. And that's why we're taking this moment to try to drink from this, this fire hydrant. And so that now we're going to get into just at least the concept of disciplines and practices. And this is where we're going to spend a little bit of our time this morning so that you can understand disciplines and practices. So as we get there, I just want you to imagine the best tasting your favorite soup. Right. What's your favorite soup? Right. I want you to think about that now. Imagine it in in this beautiful little bowl. And there it sits before you, and you're starving, and you're hungry. And now that soup that you really like, like multiply it by 18,000, right? That's how good the soup is that's put before you. And you've got that soup sitting in front of you, but you can't drink it. What do you need? A spoon. And that's the way I want you to understand disciplines, is that disciplines are like a spoon enabling you and empowering you to take in the goodness of what God has in store for you by walking in spiritual life. that there's a here gives this this spoon this this thing enables me to to dig into and to partake in the goodness of what God has for me and I get to be a part of of diving into that effort. But without that spoon, we miss so much. You see, oftentimes we look at disciplines and we think about church of old. Well, that's pe- what people did what, done back in the 15th century, you know. I mean, that's what those old people of, of faith did. And those aren't really prevalent today like disciplines, you know, like what the heck is that? I don't like disciplines, right? So I want you to imagine disciplines as a tool and as an effort to train, right? I've used this analogy before, but, you know, I could run a marathon. I just couldn't do it tomorrow. But I have the physical ability with training to be able to one day run a marathon. But I would have to submit myself to training and get in shape, obviously, and and be able to then run a marathon. But I physically have the capability, but I don't currently. And that's what a discipline does. It enables and empowers you to do what you could do, but what you can't without training. And without using it. And disciplines are this lost art. You see, the reality of this conversion message gospel is that it left out a response. Well, now what? I've prayed my prayer. It left out and left the church void of disciples and living to be a disciple. You see, you see something in that word disciplines. The root is that they're in order to be a disciple, you have to give yourself to a, a, a process and a method for this thing to take place. And, and part of what we talked about last week was a disciple is a person who wants to be and lives and wants to be with and to become like the person they're following. Jesus had no intent in dying on that cross for you to be what the West calls a Christian. Where it was about you praying a prayer and then nothing else happening in your life until you die. Jesus had every intent that the kingdom of God could now come down from heaven into your life. And that we said kingdom was wherever God is ruling, wherever God is governing, wherever he is reigning. Right. So wherever God is governing and reigning, right, is God's kingdom. And the greatest hindrance to God's kingdom in our lives is our kingdom. And we live our lives caught up in how we're ruling and how we're governing our own little kingdom. And the greatest, so that greatest hindrance to God's kingdom is my kingdom. And so if we're going to understand Christianity, we have to understand kingdoms. And if we're going to begin recognizing the invitations by God of his kingdom, then we have to start recognizing just how much we're living in accordance with our kingdom and where we see ourselves frustrated. Where we see ourselves stressed out, where we see ourselves caught up in needing things to go the way I need them to go. Well, that's just our kingdom. But I've got good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a gospel to say, hey, your sins can be forgiven. It's a gospel to say, you can can now live in my kingdom and let go of yours. You get freed from the, the pain and the pressure of trying to live governing your own lives. I'll come in, I'll give you my Holy Spirit, and he will be a guide and a counselor, and he will lead you and walk you through and teach you how to become like me. Because who Jesus was is a man who we can we don't see anywhere in Scripture that Jesus lived focused on him, his own personal little kingdom. He lived modeling and displaying constantly before us. You see it in John 17. He said the world must see that... Whatever the Father asks of me, I obey. He lived completely with the Father being the governing voice in his life. And and that's the invitation of his gospel, that you and I become disciples and that we're free from having our own kingdoms. This is a a statement of a a disciple. This is is a statement of a man named Paul. And he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ Jesus who lives his life in me and through me. Now, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples, but it's a statement of a disciple. It's the very same statement that you and I can live by, that I don't want to live my life anymore. I don't want to live trying to govern my own little kingdom and manage my own thing. I want to live my life fully dependent on the Spirit of God to direct me and guide me and choose for me the things that he has for me to do and the places he has for me to go. Now, do I have growth in order to get better and better and better at that? Then welcome to the good news of the gospel. Because, see, the gospel brings with it a transformation in who we are. Or else it wasn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or else it may be something that we may have prayed at one point, but we had no intent of growing into. We had no intent of being changed. We had no no, no intent on about up there coming down here. You see that this gospel of, of like standing on the stool is, is so that one day down here can get up there. But, but the good news is that now up there can come down here and we get to empower, we get to be empowered by the spirit of God to join him in the works that he has in store for us. And we don't have time to go into all that. I want to dive into this, into disciplines for just a minute. And we're just going to fly over this so that you can understand the value of it because it's not just a negative thing, Right. Now, how many people in here are football fans, right? So I'm a Georgia fan and, you know, everybody knows Georgia's got the best offensive line. And so, you know, we, you know, we just keep getting five stars come in here. And so, you know, they bring in the next five star tackle into the Georgia offensive line. And what's the first, what's one of the first things they're going to have that, that tackle doing that 320 pound, 18 year old kid doing when he gets to campus in the off season, they're going to have him doing what getting in the weight room. Right. They're going to get him in the weight room because there is a an impact that that 320 pound behemoth of a man can have on the football field. But when you get him training and lifting weights all year long, he is going to have a a more physical impact on other people that he's blocking because he has gone into training and he has built strength to be able to do what he desires to do. But by that training, he is now empowered to do in a greater measure. And that's a good thing if you're a Georgia running back. Agree? No Alabama fans. Thank you. So here's the thing. This is what disciplines give you, right? Is that a discipline, and now we're going to look at kind of like a discipline of abstinence. That is that you're doing without something. So, for instance, the discipline of fasting is that you're choosing to do without food. But it's not about doing without food. Fasting food is not about food. The discipline of fasting is about what you get. You see, fasting to pursue Jesus Christ is not about doing without food in this world. It's about getting to feast from the buffet of heaven. It's about getting to taste and getting to partake in the goodness of the spirit of God in a a different way, in a new way. You see, it is an indirect action, just like this offensive lineman lifting weights, right? He's not on the field while he's lifting weights. He's in a gym. It's an indirect action that has a direct effect when he goes onto the field. That's what disciplines give you. It's an indirect action that you're choosing that will have a positive effect when you go onto the field. So disciplines of abstinence, if you struggle with with self-discipline, if you struggle with self-control, if you find yourself caught in a pattern of sin and you can't get rid of this pattern, right, well, then I've got a weight room waiting for you. If you're a person who struggles with anger and you're like, well, I'm just angry. Well, no, you're not just angry. That's not who God create thought up when he thought of you, that you're a person who's angry and that hurts people in your anger. Right. There is more that he has in store for you. So he wants to lead you into a place of freedom. And one of the ways that you can find freedom over things like anger is that you learn to get into the weight room of disciplines of abstinence and you become empowered to do and to have, self, have, have some willpower to overcome things in your life that otherwise you couldn't overcome because you didn't have discipline. Like, I mean, have you skipped a meal and you've been, been hungry? Like, for heaven's sakes, in 20 minutes you're going to be upset with me because I'm, if I'm still talking, you can be like, well, I'm just so uncomfortable. I'm hungry. Well, you know what? Here's what you get from the discipline, from disciplines of abstinence like this. And this is just a, a list that's, ain't, that's, that's popular, uh, you know, kind of in church history. Just a starting point could be hundreds of these. Hopefully we'll have time to get to that in a minute. Um, We're not going through hundreds of them. Just kidding. Um, But in like a discipline of abstinence is like suddenly now you are encountering a power and a strength to say no to self in ways that you were never able to say no to self before you engaged the training. I don't know whether or not I could run 10 miles tomorrow. Maybe I Maybe I couldn't, but I'm pretty sure I couldn't run a marathon. But with training, I could. But with your training, I could build strength to be able to do something I could not do apart from it. And if you're a person who's caught in something and has a hold of you and you can't seem to break it, then there are values and there are empowerments that the Spirit of God wants to do by engaging disciplines of abstinence that you learn to tell yourself no. Otherwise, you'll find yourself standing on a stool Looking a little silly sometimes, but you'll you'll find yourself just standing on the stool of your Christianity rather than living in the world of Christianity, and you won't be able to overcome. You won't be able to experience the overcoming reality of God because you're not living your life pursuing the power of God. Discipline of engagement. What in the world, you know, does that mean? Well, I mean, engagements much like, you know, where there could be sins of omission, things that you could be or should be doing, but that you're not doing. So You know, this would connect to what I was sharing earlier: the opportunity that you get to serve, that you get to participate, right? That you get to come and, and build up and encourage one another, like where you're not engaging the kingdom in any form or fashion. And this is just kind of a study. Then these are opportunities to dive into and to and to begin practicing, right? And they take discipline to give yourself to, right? So I had a friend that was in my office and was going through a difficult season of his life. And he was struggling socially. And, I, and just in our time together, I, I challenged him. I said, encouraged him to go to a large community down in Atlanta. If you're not familiar with a large community, it's a community of people that are all over the world. Uh, started by a guy named uh, Jean Venier. Fren- uh, Um, up in Canada, he's a French guy, um, but they're communities of people with, uh, with mental disabilities and they live in community together. And I encouraged this friend to go serve in this large community to go take a step outside himself because he was not engaged in life outside his little world of work. And by choosing to do so and going and giving himself to serving these, this, in this community of, of, of persons with a. Um, what was the word I'm trying to use here? Uh, of these of these mental challenges, sorry, um, it just it just opened him up to that. There's so much world. There's so much more. It was a perspective change that, and then he found himself getting involved. And he went and hung out at the mall one day and befriended a guy and led him to the point of praying a prayer. Just because he began engaging life in a completely different way, and he had somebody. Just not kudos to me, but just somebody saying, hey, you need to challenge yourself. You need to get out of your comfort zone. You see, I love I've, I've learned so much from from a guy named Dallas Willard passed away a few years ago. If you hear me preach, you probably hear me say his name. But I learned so much from him, you know, and Dallas said, you know, I practice the discipline of uh, of not getting the last word. Now, you can make these things up. You don't just have to go by an ancient list. You get to you get to come up with your own. That's what Dallas did. He's like. I, I wanted to deny myself. When is the last time that you wanted something that you could get that wasn't sin that you didn't pursue to go get? Small little kingdom. Engaging the discipline says, you know what? I want to put a bit in the mouth of self. And I don't want to give self the rule and reign over my own life. I don't want to be governing and, and making all the decisions, just pursuing. Because when we, when we do that and hear this church in the West... When we live life allowing our emotions and our feelings, directing our actions, then we've made them an idol. And we're in control. But I got good news. Jesus came and He brought with him a kingdom. And it's for you. But here's the good news. It's not about you. It is fully for you, but it is not about you. It's about him. If we don't start to rec- wrestle with what we, have, what we could call or, or kind of determine normal Christianity, we will never move past what is socially normal as a Christian. We will never step into the reality of the invitation of Jesus' gospel to be a disciple. Where a heart is fixed on being with and becoming like this one that we follow. And I don't know what your intent was with whatever version of the gospel. I'm not here to belittle the value and the power of conversion. It is a necessary aspect, but it is not the full reality of what Jesus preached. And that's why we're here today is to talk more about how and what you can do to join God in pursuing him to giving into his spirit. And this is just like this is just a barely a scratch at the surface of just one way that you can begin looking to and engaging a growth process beyond what you've known before. This is just one way that you can begin engaging a lifestyle of the fullness of the gospel so that when someone else comes to you and said, I need help, I've just become a Christian. I want to grow. I want to become like you as you're becoming like Jesus Christ. Would you teach me how to walk in his ways? Would you teach me how to live a life in abundance and a life that is about being obedient to all the things that he taught? Prayer and reading the Bible and going to church are critical. And they're, I would say even necessary. But there is so much more beyond those that, can, that your answer can be. And where we're not choosing to live that way, then how in the world are we expected to be able to lead someone to that next place? And hence, we're trying to drink from a fire hydrant today that at least you could get the concept. Of that there maybe is something more. Maybe there's some other things that I can engage in. And maybe that there's an opportunity that every morning when I wake up, there's a response of the full gospel of Jesus Christ waiting for me and waiting for my feet to hit the floor. Because, see, the gospel of Jesus Christ deserves, if nothing else, it deserves a response from how you live your life and what you intend. One of the things the Lord hates most is just this lukewarm place. Be hot or cold, but make a choice. The gospel is a very challenging thing, right? And so we may look at disciplines we say, well, that's not very inviting. And that's just because you had not tasted the soup. If you get a taste of the soup, then you'll see that this, these are wellsprings of life. But maybe you may have misunderstood what I've been saying up to this point. You see... All that we've been talking about up to this point is not how. This isn't, this isn't how you live the Christian life. This is the what. Here's the how. Before, right just before I was born, I have, an, I have a sister. His name's Amy. She's two and a half years older than I am. She was the first grandchild in our family um, on my dad's side. And um, my grandfather, his name's Sam Crawford, call him Pops. He was my buddy. He was, the, he was the guy. He was a World War II vet. He was a, he was a bright guy. He's an energetic guy. I love the man with all my heart. He, you know, when I was like five or six years old, he's the guy who pulled me on the back porch. And I remember like it was yesterday, him looking me at the eye. He was sitting in a chair and I'm standing there and I'm barely, as, maybe not as tall as he is. And he, he said, now son, when you shake a man's hand, you look him in the eye and you give him a firm handshake, right? I mean, these, these deep values of what a man should be. And my grandfather had been an alcoholic. He thankfully was sober the last 25 years of his life, but he was also a chain smoker. And so here my older sister comes along and she's like two years old as the story goes. Again, I wasn't there to to witness it, but, but, you know, he, he was said to have had a cigarette in each hand. So by the time he finished one cigarette, he had the next one lit, ready to go you know, chain smoker. And so evidently my sister kind of jumped up in his lap or crawled up in his lap one day and the cigarette burned her. And, and she ran off crying and she was scared of him. He never smoked another cigarette. The vision of who Jesus Christ is and what he represents and the love that he has for you and for me is how. Everything else is just a what. But how you get there is that you're motivated with a love and a growing love and a growing understanding and a growing vision of who this man is and how much he has loved and how much that he has done for us. Because unless you fall in love, you will never leave and cling to Jesus Christ and the reality of his gospel. Unless you fall in love, you'll be content in being able to check this box and say, I've done my deal. I'll take my chances. But that's where abundant life. That's the place that we find a reality and the goodness of Jesus Christ as we're growing to know him. You see, what we hear Jesus say as he continues on in his teachings in Matthew, he said, you know, you may have done all these things, but I didn't know you. You may have cast out demons. You may have performed miracles, but I didn't know you. That is not that whether or not we think we know him. He's saying, no, I didn't know you. Like there's this intimate, there's this fellowship, there's this encounter, and there's this engagement in that term of knowledge. That is an experiential reality in relationship that you may have done. You may have even been empowered to do all these things like cast out demons and perform miracles. But Jesus is saying, I want to know you. And so the brilliance of this incredibly designed gospel of, of the father that sent his son is that you and I can grow in a love in something. That's why I said the soup is 18,000 times more than the best thing that you can imagine. No, eye has seen no ear has heard no mind conceived what God has in store for those who love him. And that is the life of abundance that he has in store for you and I to have. And it only comes with living a life to be a disciple. And the more you grow, the more you engage, the more you find this overpowering presence in your life. The supernatural empowerment of the Spirit of God, not just leading you to training, but empowering you supernaturally to do things that you never could do before. So you want to live a frustrated life. You want to live a life of stress and conflict, then stay right here. Because right here, you're still managing your own kingdom. Right here, you have conviction of what you should be doing without the, without the strength and without the supernatural empowerment to get over the things that just keep coming at you over and over again. But I got good news. Oh, I got good news. Jesus Christ died on that cross, and not only did he die on that cross, there was a resurrection that assures with it that there is a power behind this gospel that is available To you and to me. Do you want to grow. To be in love with him. In greater measure. Do you want to know the fullness. Of what he has in store for you. Then you got to start. And answer the question. What do I intend. With this gospel. And how do I want to live my life. Managing my own kingdom. Checking a box. Stepping into things that. Maybe invite me away from me being in charge of my life, trusting that there is something incredibly valued waiting for this paradoxical thing, waiting for me on the other side of what I imagine. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you came to start a revolution. You didn't come to lead people to pray a prayer, though that is a beautiful thing. You came to take over. And Lord, where we find ourselves missing the truth of that invitation, I pray right now that up there, we come down here and open eyes to see, open minds to imagine, and open hearts to respond with an action. Thank you, Lord. You didn't make this about effort of our earning. You made this an invitation to, to surrender. And then in response to, we act. And that's a life of worship that you invite us to. In view of your mercy, Lord, lead us to act, of laying down our lives on this altar, this spiritual act of worship. But Lord, help us. Lead us, guide us. Lord, just we even invite you to convict us where we're living, managing our own kingdoms and think thinking that you're a part of that. You're on board with that. Call us to the, the places of abundance, Lord. Do not let us be satisfied with less than all the more of who you are. You are an infinite God and we are finite people. There is no end to the goodness of who you are. So, Father, I pray that you would just spark a love and spark something in our hearts that just leads us to this place of seeing you on that cross and seeing you sitting seated next to the Father at the right hand, interceding on our behalf, and we're just enamored and in awe of the goodness of who you are because you love us. And you can't wait to express yourself to us. You can't wait for us to see you and how you're being faithful in this circumstance. And how you want to lead us and guide us into that relationship with the person that Kroger. Because wherever we are living and governed by your spirit, Lord, the kingdom of God has come and it is at hand. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done, Lord. Lead us to be a people that are empowered by your spirit, that are witnessing life change before our very eyes. But, Lord, let it begin with me. Change my life. Transform me. Now empower me with your character and your love for other people that you can have your way and your kingdom can come. Thank you, Lord, that your gospel is not a shallow thing that we can check a box, but it deserves a every day. So as for me, Lord, I want to take up my cross. I want to be with you. I want to become like you. But Lord, we ask for your revolution to come. We ask that you move people that may have been Christians for some period of time into a place where there is at least a vision of something more. Not just because they hear some concepts, but because they're choosing it and they're following it and they're hungry for it, Lord. And then let us grab the spoon and begin to learn how to partake and practice the goodness of who you are. Oh, you have so much more. On right the left there's a table with communion on it represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. It was painful. It was hard, but he was honored to do it so you and I could partake in it. Not just partake in remembrance of his broken body and his shed blood, but partake in the goodness of the gospel that he came to. Birth. And that's what this represents. That's what you're coming to receive it represents there'll be teams of people on my right and left. If there's something you need prayer for, maybe there's some place you've been stuck and you don't have the the power to kind of move beyond this place of stuck, but you want to begin that journey. Maybe you want to come and, and be encouraged and built up by somebody up here that's a part of our body that's been invited and scheduled to pray with you. We'd love for that to happen. Aaron's going to now lead us into a time of reflecting and worship and And my encouragement to you that at least you just take a moment, and I know you're hungry, maybe just take a moment to really reflect how much of this kind of Western perspective has been the reality of my Christian life, and how much more of this do I hear an invitation in for Thank you guys for coming. If, um... You're dismissed whenever you need to go, but we're just going to enter into a season of of our next few minutes of, of reflection and worship. Our action in response to the gospel is the worship that delights the Lord and that he's inviting you into